Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is from the Erbarma Dich aria from the St. Matthew Passion. Hey, you were with that Jesus of Galilee. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I was not. Hey, yeah, 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 this guy. This guy, he was with Jesus. Uh, no. Two denials from Peter. And then a third, finally. Hey, this this guy was with Jesus. I can recognize his accent. I know he was with him. And Peter, a third time. I do not know this guy. I do not know this Jesus. But then the rooster crowed, and Peter, having remembered Jesus telling him that this would happen, went out and wept bitterly. This comes from the account of the Passion from the Gospel of Matthew. Now this is the fourth episode that we've done so far where we talk about something from the St. Matthew Passion. And it's really a rich well to be drawing from, and that's why we keep coming back to it. It's some of the most sublime music that Bach has ever written, and that's saying something. But with the St. Matthew Passion, you get something very polished. And with this particular movement, the alto aria, Erbarma Dich, you get something pretty sublime. This often makes the list of greatest arias or greatest classical pieces for the violin or just greatest pieces of music ever, I think. It's not crazy to say that. And and it is not maybe quite as common as some of the things by, some of the other things by Bach, like Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring, um, or like Toccata in D minor, the organ piece, or some of the other enduring works by other composers are more famous than this, maybe but this occupies a really important place in this work, the St. Matthew Passion, and the St. Matthew Passion is highly regarded. So what is it about this music that is so enduring? I think part of it has to do with the story behind it. I mean, the Mass in B minor that we've talked about before is another big piece by Bach that's got a bunch of movements and is great, but it's not as much of a storytelling uh, thing going on in that. It's it's just going through the Mass. It's going through, um, part of it is the creed, like a, a confession of faith, um, an explanation of faith, and things like that. It's it's great, but it's not it's not really a story. No, it's more like a church service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
But then on Good Friday, which people, a lot of people really find a lot of power in the story that they go to, when they go to church on Good Friday, and that's because it's, I mean, truly is the greatest story. It's really heart-wrenching in a way because Jesus was fully human, you know, as well as being fully divine. But the fully human side of it is the part that, of course, we can identify with as humans ourselves, right? And not only that, but there's so much weakness and just absolute sin happening with the other characters of the story, right? Now, now Christians would say that Jesus, even though he was fully human, did not sin because he was perfect because he is God. However, we can see a lot of the sinful weakness of the humans in this story, the other humans in the in the story, and we can really see ourselves in a lot of these things. We see Judas betraying Christ. We see him giving him away so that he can be arrested and eventually killed. And we, we look at that and we go, that guy's evil. I mean, that he could sell his friend off like that. But then the Peter one, which is what this is about, that's a little, it cuts a little closer to the heart, I think, for for people, it's like, oh, well, I think I've done that, you know? If somebody has said, like, are you, do you, like, go to church or do you, whatever, I mean, it, they're not, like, necessarily putting you in a dangerous situation, but you feel embarrassed, maybe, to be a Christian. If that's a experience that you have felt before, then that's the same thing here. Peter didn't want to admit that. It's kind of like being on the losing side. I mean, think about it from his perspective. Even though Jesus told him literally, like, I am going to I'm going to rise from the dead. Like, that is going to happen. And he'd done all these miracles and things and shown that he was the son of God. But even then, Peter and the other disciples were like, whoa, no, he, he's going to get killed here. He's going to die. He's going to be crucified. That's it. They didn't really believe this was going to happen. You can tell that by their their wonder and their um, just bewilderment at when it does happen. So they thought this was the end. So Peter was was just, uh, no, I don't really have anything to do with this guy. But then that shame afterwards, right, when he hears the rooster crow. Bach sets this scene, as he sets so many of these scenes in the St. Matthew Passion, with a recitative, with a tenor voice, called the evangelist singing the story, singing the Bible text, saying that Peter finally denies Christ the third time and hears the rooster crow. And then he went out and wept bitterly. And on that final line, we hear the music almost feel like it's weeping on the word wept. And then that last word, bitterlich, just the way that that's performed, especially in this version by the Netherlands Box Society, it's very moving. So what you just heard were the first couple of measures of the violin solo at the beginning of this aria. We've talked before in episodes about how you'll start with a instrumental solo, it's called an obbligato, and then 
the voice will come in after that intro. Then the whole aria will take place, then at the end, the instrument will close us out again. That's exactly what happens here. What's special about this one, though? Well, let's pay attention to the bass here. Here's the beginning again. So we have this slow kind of plotting thing in triplets. There's groups of three notes. And the bass instruments are being plucked here, pizzicato. Sort of a plaintive sound. The violin part is very ornamented, and we call that in Baroque music when we're adding little notes here and there. Um, here's what the melody might sound like if you had no ornamentation on it. And then here's what it sounds like with ornamentation. And now here's what the alto singer sounds like at that first entrance. That sounds a little more austere, doesn't it? It sounds more like the non-ornamented version that we showed before. What's happening here is the violin has, by the nature of the instrument, a lot more facility to play all these really fast notes. And you heard some of that in the example just played. And the voice, Bach does take all his vocalists and make them go through quite the gauntlet of, of um, tricky, fast passages, but it's never going to be quite as fleet as what a violin can do, right? And that's what we see here at the beginning, even though this is powerful and kind of slow and heart-wrenching, it's not like this fast, happy thing or whatever. It's still got these really quick motions in the violin, doesn't it? This observation is a little silly, but first time hearing this, I it sounds, it sounds almost like a noir music you know yeah, like film totally. noir and almost like it could there's a smoky room of like mobsters you know yeah it's it's like kind of baldly emotional sounding yeah very the, very heart-wrenching yeah it would sound like it would sounds like old film score simply because new film score doesn't sound as openly emotional in in like like it doesn't sound as cheesy right like, we would think this would be cheesy if it was scoring a like a noir film or whatever. Or we would think it, maybe not cheesy, but it would just sound, it would sound like a noir film, something old, right? Yeah, yeah. And because it sounds classical, but also, yeah, I think I get what you're saying, Christian. And that's, I've, I kind of, this is a whole side thing that we don't have to get into it a lot of, but yeah, film score kind of has lost a little bit of that, um, that polish. And I'm being very general here. It's not true for everything. But I think... It's like we're kind of afraid to show that emotion so plainly, you know. And if you look at old movies, especially movies of like the 30s and 40s, it's really wonderful and stirring. And the music, it just, it really takes you where the director wants you to go and where the composer wants you to go in the scene. And it it kind of dictates it for you, right, in a way. Yeah. And a lot of more modern movies, and sometimes this is to their benefit, but also sometimes to their detriment, 
the the music takes a much more of a backseat approach and doesn't direct your emotional journey of the scene. And they let the actors do that in the in the cuts and all these other things, you know. Right, and the music becomes maybe more ambient. It's more like a or, it's commenting. Sometimes the music yeah. is doing something, but it's commenting instead right. of um, directing what's happening. You know. Right. I guess I'm not necessarily saying that it's just in the background either, because there's definitely sure. some modern examples where it's mixed really loud, but uh, it's very yeah. different in character than like a sprightly, cartoonishly fast thing that you know would hit every every beat that happens. We don't score movies like that anymore. Yeah. Really. Like you still see cartoons scored like that, but that's how movies used to be scored for sure. And and looking at this, looking at the um, this particular aria from the St. Matthew Passion, I mean, it's not a movie, so you have the music has to do more legwork to tell the story anyway, because the visuals aren't all there. But and it's not opera either, so you don't have like stage dressing costumes and things like that either. So the music does do more legwork. It's true. And kind of like a, in a ballet where even though with ballets, a lot of times you do have costumes and and sets and things, the music tells a lot of the story of a ballet because it has to because there's no singing, right? So this this is an oratorio. We've, we've I don't know if we've talked much about oratorio, but that's basically like an opera, but with less, right? Less staging. And it's yeah. typically sacred music of some kind. It's not always, but oratorio, it, it refers to something like the St. Matthew Passion. Somebody's playing the character of Jesus, somebody's Judas, etc. Yeah, the H- Handel's Messiah is a famous example of an oratorio. Yeah. So to your point about the film score, Christian, is like this is this music is scoring Peter's emotions. This is supposed to be right. The, it is like that. Yeah, this is supposed to be the um, anguish that he's feeling. Right. Yeah, this would be the in the movie of this, it would be where he turns around, realizes what he's done, and then walking slowly and just like his shot of his face, you know, or something, and then this starts. Yeah. And to to my point earlier about the violin being more facile with these these kind of swift little moment little movements that are fluttery. Uh, and then when the alto soloist comes in and does sing, it's like a little bit of a simplified version of it, right? To me, that sounds like Peter saying a prayer uh, of basically of apology and of regret, and you can imagine his voice kind of cracking, and he's trying to he's trying to say, "Oh Lord, I'm sorry for for forgive me." I think it's right. The text is about have mercy, Lord, right? It's that classic prayer, mm-hmm. and and in particular, Peter is wanting to be forgiven for the sin of denying Jesus, right? But then the violin, I feel like, is like that's his emotion, you know? That's like his. That's what he's really feeling. It's like way more scattered and and uh, and tormented, and it's moving. It's moving along with. We talk a lot about how the violin or how the uh, instrumental part in any aria plays with the vocal soloist and in counterpoint sometimes, and sometimes in the background and whatever. And in this particular movement, it has a lot of stretching dissonance that sort of counteracts what the the voice is doing. That leads me particularly to my moment, which is the moment that you heard um, at the top of the episode. Like we always do, we try to point out 
or we at least try to play the moment that we're going to talk about specifically. So the words here, have mercy, my God, for the sake of my tears, right? And it also talks about weeping bitterly, right? Bitterlich. But on the word that I chose, the moment that I chose is that my tears moment, talking about my tears. And you can hear, this is what it sounds like when the violin introduces this little bit of melody before we hear it in the alto voice. Here it is just in violin during the intro. And here's how it sounds when the alto soloist starts singing it and the violin is playing behind it. And here's how that sounds. Now, did you hear that particular dissonance there? The violin was playing those little extra notes, those uh, ornamentations, right? They are prescribed by Bach. So it's, it's not really an extra note. It's just, it's a faster note. And here's how that sounds isolated. But then here's how the voice part sounds isolated if it was to be played on piano here. Now let me play those together. You hear how that really clashes, but then resolves, then clashes on a beat, then resolves, then clashes on a beat, then resolves. Those are anguished tears. During this whole thing, we have in mind the idea that Jesus is suffering on the cross, right? This is happening. And one way that Bach does this very cleverly is he weaves in the tune, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. Into this aria. It's kind of hidden in there, but let me play for you, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded, at least the very beginning of one of these chorales, Way back in episode 9, we talked about O Sacred Head Now Wounded. We talked about all those chorales that use that tune. Let me play you one of those. And now here is the beginning of the Erbarmendich aria. And see if you can hear it hidden in there. Now I'm going to try to point it out to you by playing along. What do you think, Christian? Do you think that was intentional by Bach? It's kind of it's kind of hidden. On the one hand, it is a fairly common Baroque figure. Yeah. But but I bet it was on purpose. Yeah, I, I think he just loved that kind of symmetry, you know, or synergy maybe is the better word. It's maybe not symmetrical, yeah. but it's like the idea of including that tune and hiding it in other places, that that appeals to Bach. He Definitely a Bach thing, for yeah. sure. That's the way his mind worked. Yep. Here's another example of that during the middle of the movement, during a little interlude where the violin has a solo.
We could probably tell that that's in a different key, right? But the same melody is happening on top, and that same bass line was happening, so you got that O Sacred Head Now Wounded melody happening in the bass. Like a lot of the arias in the St. Matthew Passion, I also love how the aria has a, has a symmetry with the recitative that came before it and a chorale that comes after it here as well. And the recitative that comes before by the evangelist, you know, that's always the Bible words itself, right? right. So that is, in this case, it's talking about Peter remembering and then Peter is the character. But the words of Erbarmadish go like this. Have mercy, Lord, on me. Regard my bitter weeping. Look at me, heart and eyes, both weep to thee bitterly. Then it's followed by a chorale, Lamb of God, I fall before thee. So it's in the first person. So it's like it's like you said, Alex, it's like we are Peter at this at this point. Yeah. We can all think of a time in our life when we did something regrettable like that. Maybe we slightly betrayed someone with words and pretended like we didn't know somebody because that wasn't cool to know them, you know, something like that. Sure. Or we were embarrassed for some reason and then later we look back and think and we're ashamed about that. And so it's a very relatable it's very relatable, you know, the whole situation. Yeah, and that last line of that chorale that follows this aria, it says basically, your grace and mercy is much greater than the sin that I discover in myself. So it's the body of Christ, it's everybody sort of making this prayer saying, have mercy on us. We know that your son has set the example for us through his anguish and pain is, is another line from that. And... um there's a lot of there's a lot of focus on Jesus's anguish and pain and his death and this and that's why that's why this can be hard to to you know take in. I mean it's really it's really depressing, you know. Yeah. It's it's not happy. It's sure it's sure sad, you know, like that's just that's what it is. Yeah, but ultimately the concept of of like mercy by a higher power is what drives like the whole thing because yeah. Because um in the Christian theology it's like well, there is such a thing as that mercy. And it's not like I screwed up and I was mean to someone or I denied them or something like Peter did and I will then face the requisite punishment and I know I will. It's not even really like that kind of karma thing. It's more like I can seek forgiveness because I know what I did wrong. Regard my bitter weeping. Look at me. I'm weeping to you bitterly. Right. Like I'm very sincerely apologetic and stuff like that. And like you said, Alex, the whole story is about Jesus's awful crucifixion. But the theology behind that is that it did something. You know, it wasn't just like a tragic death. It right. also achieved something. It uh, atoned for, uh, for humanity. So we can then have that mercy. Yeah.
So in this story, we always just think of Peter as like, oh, he's the guy that messed up, you know, he did the bad thing, he denied Jesus. But the part of this and the focus of this really is actually Peter was completely forgiven. He asked for forgiveness and he got it. And we've all done that kind of thing where we've denied and we get forgiveness for that. But it has to be a genuine, you know, it has to be a genuine display of remorse also, right? I mean, depending on, depending on what theology you, you uh, very, very particular, right, branches of theology and on how, uh, how genuine your remorse has to be to, like, deserve forgiveness or whatever, that it's not something that everybody agrees on, right? Or, like, whether you get it, whether you want it or not, or whether you get it if you believe or if you choose it or if you're or if God chooses you and all this stuff is very technical in a theological sense in a way but the story remains powerful for everybody who basically ascribes to the Christian faith at all because Peter is just like us in this story so if you have not yet embarked on the journey that is the St. Matthew Passion. One great way to do that, of course, listening to the Netherlands Box Society version, but also watching it, at, you know, watching the, there's a YouTube video and it's free and there's no, there are no ads. The Netherlands Box Society never has ads. It's part of like their whole thing. They, mm-hmm. they make the music of Bach free to everybody with no barrier, basically. And so you'll get a nice uninterrupted stream of that from YouTube and try and listen to it with good speakers, you know. Uh, of course, we'll, we would say that because we care about that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. also, a good thing to do is to have at the ready, if you don't speak German, that is, to have at the ready a translation. Right. You can find various ones online for free, but you but you can also just use the one that the Netherlands Bach Society has on their Olive Bach page where you can look it up. You can look up, we'll link to this in the description. Sometimes we're talking about these videos being on YouTube, but they're also all on the Netherlands Box Society's website. Right. And, and then there you can find the text. Yeah. And translation. They made translations to English yeah. in all these. All the cantatas. It's amazing. Someone did a lot of work for this. Yeah, a lot of people did a lot of work for all the all the editing and everything too. Yeah. And to complete the sort of experience you uh you can be reading up on like articles about this stuff and one thing that i did to prepare for this episode was to read a nice article and i'll shout it out because i took a lot of the uh, sort of inspiration of the themes of what i talked about from the article and it's from earth and altar magazine an article that i found online called erbarmedich the temptation of peter in box saint matthew passion it goes through a lot of the thematic stuff that i uh, i brought up on this episode so stuff like that, and I mean, I just found that by searching for it, but you can, that always enriches the experience, you know, to find things like that. And now, here is that Tears moment from the aria Erbarma Dich, starting where the alto soloist enters.
If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the St. Matthew Passion, please see the link in the episode description to see that performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Also, special thanks to Molly, who suggested this. Molly, you're the first one to suggest, I think, to suggest something that we were able to use uh, in our schedule. There have been others who have suggested some things that sometimes we couldn't do them yet, or we couldn't do them because the Netherlands Box Society has not yet recorded them or released them. I'm sure they're actually kind of ahead of schedule, but they release things incrementally to the public. So there's a lot of things that we'll just have to look forward to in the future that they're going to release. But I also don't want to make it sound like we don't have a lot yet because there's so, so much already. Yeah, there's, there's so tons. much stuff that's already out there. We could never you know, get through it all. So thanks, Molly. To hear our new episodes as we release them, find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. And just like Molly, please tell us what you want us to talk about. Yeah, we love that. Okay, Christian, what are we looking at next week on A Moment of Bach? We're looking at the violin concerto in A minor the second movement. Until next time, enjoy those moments.